This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, where I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I'm very happy to welcome to the show by phone our next guest, Jason Nazar, who's co-founder and CEO of Comparably. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Carl. All right. So give us the elevator pitch for Comparably. Uh, Comparably is a three-year-old company, and we are a website where employees publicly rate their employers, and they can also see how much they should be getting paid. And then we have solutions for companies to help them with their employer brand and recruitment marketing. All right. So first things first, I apologize for saying comparably. Uh, so you say comparably, and that makes we that do. does yes. yeah it comes off the tongue a little better. So if I go to Comparably, I actually did go this afternoon, and fortunately, my own employer is not there, so I didn't learn anything bad about about the Wharton School. But I did type in a few other companies. And so if I were to type in Salesforce or Google or something like that, tell us, tell us what I would see. Well, you would see first off what grade they get as rated by their employees. You would see how their CEO was scored by their employees. And you would see a gender score and a diversity score to see what kind of experience women are having at those companies and people of color. And say a little bit more about where that data comes from and how much data you need in order to make these estimates. The data comes from the employees of those organizations. So we have millions and millions of ratings from hundreds of thousands of workers across the United States. And, you know, from our point of view, you know, we do hold back some of the data until we get to statistical significance. Mm -hmm. But even once you get, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 employees at a company that are sharing their experience, we think it's valuable to share that publicly. And the point is not to speak negatively of your company or to have, you know, somewhere to just vent about what's going on. It's to make workplaces more transparent so Mm -hmm. that they become more rewarding. And that's really our mission as a company, which is to make work more transparent and rewarding both for employees and employers. Is, you know, we've been talking about the end user experience, the employee and the prospective employee or a member of the public. Is that your primary stakeholder here that you're really, if you think about who your users are and who your customer is, is that really the primary customer? In our case, it's twofold. Our customer, our paying customer, our companies. But we have, if you think about it, two masters that we serve. The first is that, you know, we've built this consumer product that needs to be delightful and engaging and valuable to employees so that they want to go contribute and that they come to us to see how much they should be getting paid and that they spend time on our website. And then the other side is that we have a whole separate product for employers that shows them in detail how their team is rating them, shows how they compare to their competitors and to their industry, gives them access to compensation data, gives them access to recruit great top tech talent. And so we have two folks that we serve and the paying customers are in our case, are the companies. And it's really important to us as a team that we keep the platform open and free to the end user and the Mm -hmm. employee so that there's no friction in getting that data. 
we want people to have a better understanding of how much they should be getting paid and what market comp is for them. We want people to have a better understanding of what workplaces are the best, especially for people like them. And so we don't want to add any friction or put any pricing against employees to access that data. Yeah, so I just, I like to on the show underscore principles that are generalizable, and this is a pretty interesting one, which is it's a, it's a product in which you have multiple stakeholders, in this case, the employer and the employee and the prospective employee, but it's, although the product has tremendous value to the end user, to the individual, it has enough value to the employer that they're willing to pay for it and have a better ability to pay. And so it's a really nice model. It doesn't work everywhere, but it's it's a nice example of where that model can work. Absolutely. And if you think about, you know, how the internet has disintermediated a lot of industries, this is pretty common. So think of most travel sites, right? Previously, yeah. you would use some kind of, you know, uh, travel insurance broker. You'd have to pay some fee on top of that. Now all that information is open, it's transparent, and it's actually the airlines and the hotels that pay to have their listings on there um, so that they can get access to those customers. Right. So, uh, Jason, there is competition. Uh, Glassdoor would be the first one to come to and now has a, a wealthy parent uh, having been acquired by Indeed. So what what is the, what's your differentiating, what are the differentiating features for Comparably? Well set, and Glassdoor is our main competition. You know, they've been around for more than a decade. Mm -hmm. I very much respect what that team accomplished um, and how they, you know, helped pave the way to make workplaces more transparent. I think in our case, we do a lot of things, you know, very different than them and hopefully in some cases better. You know, the first is that we collect a different kind of data set. Mm -hmm. So if you go to Comparably, you're going to be able to see what kind of experience women are having at companies, what kind of experience people of color. You can see how... It breaks down by department, so you can very easily understand what kind of experience engineers are having and product folks and designers and marketing. And when you apply to a company, you know, you're working with your specific team most of the time, and so you really want to understand what the culture is like on that specific team and the location that you're applying to. And so that's part one of how we've collected a different data set. The second thing we do very differently is that we actually don't leave with getting a written review. And our point of view is that some of these online review sites from employees have become venting grounds yeah. for, you know, folks that were laid off or let go and they have a grievance to say and they go there and they air it out. And there should be a form for those folks. But when you see that the majority of feedback about a company is dominated by people that no longer even work there, then I think it makes it less valuable and helpful for an end user. And what you end up seeing is a lot of bifurcated feedback in extremes. So you see a bunch of people that say, well, I absolutely hate working with this organization. It's awful. And then you see these other set of written reviews that say things are amazing and glowing because those are the employees that are asked to go and these counterbalancing feedback by their managers. And then as someone trying to understand what it's really like to work there, you're left a little lost. You don't know what feedback to trust. So, you know, we've built a platform that helps showcase what it's really like to work at organizations that's more fair and accurate and helps companies engage their own existing current team to make that data more public. And then the third thing that's really our key differentiator from Glassdoor is the kind of folks that are using the platform. So we have a database of hundreds of thousands of the top 
tech talent across the United States, either engineer, product, marketing, design. And so we've been able to place, you know, those candidates with top companies. And we've also now become one of the main destinations for best place to work awards. So major media outlets like Forbes and Fortune and Business Insider and USA Today are covering us, you know, every quarter for the new set of awards that we release. And those are the main areas that I think we've intentionally tried to differentiate ourselves from Glassdoor and other folks. Yeah. So I want to, I want to focus on that last point and also something you said about data quality first and then circle back on the recruiting piece. But the, on the data quality, what, what evidence do you have that your data is better? And let's just take an easy example. I would think that something like salary data you the company knows their own salary data so there is a way to validate if you could get access to the company data but on something like um attitude uh, you know gender issues there 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 isn't any data necessarily how do you know your data is any good well first off we give companies the ability to make sure that the feedback is coming from their current existing team and again the reason that's so important is because you know, a company's culture today is very different than it was three years ago. Yeah. And so if you're primarily reading reviews of employees that, you know, no longer work at the company, that's not getting the most accurate feedback. And that's one thing we do very differently. The second thing... And, and just to interrupt you, Jason, sorry to interrupt please. you, but, but how do you do that? Do you, you validate an email address or, or some other identity? We validate a company email address um, and require double opt-in verification when the company chooses to have that um, added on. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that's the first. I would say the second is if, you know, this is the fourth company I've now started. And I've had the good fortune to, you know, have exits before we sold our last company to Intuit. You know, I've been doing this in the tech space now for, you know, over 15 years. And we started this company to really try to do something better in this employee review space that was more fair and accurate. That was our starting place and why of all of this. So if you look, Carl, at how we built up the product from day one, it was never meant to attract the angriest of voices. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a website, it has a big open form fill, and it starts with, you know, tell your experience. It attracts a specific kind of person. If you look at our experience, we ask people a series of 50 multiple choice questions. And so the kind of user that's trying to go to ventures wants to say something bad about a specific manager she or he worked for, is not going to go to comparably to start. They're going to go to other places. So we've intentionally branded or built our product to get thoughtful contribution that's more objective from existing current team members. And then the third thing is we collected data set that nobody else has and nobody else has collected before. And I think what you see are really positive confirmations from companies um, about the quality of our data. So we now have 11,000 companies in the United States, these are large companies, not small businesses, but medium and large size companies that are using our software. They've claimed their company pages, and it's because they're seeing value in the data that we're collecting and publicly showcasing about them. So those are a couple of the barometers that we use to ensure that the data that we put out is the most accurate and valuable that you can find anywhere. I wonder if you can take us back to the beginning. You alluded to your startup history, but where did the idea come from for Comparably? It's a great question. It, it, as most do, it came born out of a personal experience that then felt like it was a problem for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. So in my particular case, 
Um, as I mentioned, this is the fourth business I started, and I started my last venture-backed internet company when I was 26 years old, and I recently turned 40. And I can tell you, at 26 years old, I made every mistake in the book. And fortunately, we built a great company that 30 million people a month used, and we sold it to a great iconic brand like Intuit. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't at the forefront of a lot of mistakes in that process. Yeah. And my single biggest mistake was devaluing the importance of consciously building a great company culture. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was 27, I thought that this isn't the time and place to focus on company culture. We're a startup. We should just be working hard. But the fact of the matter is whether you craft a company culture or not, one exists. And it's either there as an accelerant to help you achieve your business goals, or it's there as a deterrent slowing down and preventing your ability to achieve your business goals. And it really took me five years of you know, feedback being put in my face in multiple ways to realize that I wasn't building the most positive culture as I could have been and that it was affecting the team around me and our ability to achieve business results. And so that journey started for me you know, in my early 30s. And then by the time we sold the company and I was at Intuit, one of the things that they do better than almost anything else than any other company is they're just amazing at company culture. Yeah. You're talking about close to 10,000 employees and how you organize those folks to all be on the same page. And so I became a complete convert, 180 degrees. I felt like culture was the single most important thing that you needed to establish from day one that was most important. And as I thought about what kind of business and product we could build to help companies with that, you know, this is how we settled on comparably. And our point of view is that if we are the ones to make job places dramatically more transparent, then we can really help both employees understand what company cultures are like, how much they should be getting paid, if we can hold companies to a higher standard of what is good and great. And also the flip side of it is human nature. You know, as you know, Carl, and with all the students you're dealing with, you always think there's something better somewhere else. You know, so I was always frustrated because I always felt like my employees thought that things were so great, you know, at other workplaces. I was like, well, if you only knew, if you only knew what they were getting paid, if you only knew what it was really like there. And so it's also meant to help employers level the playing field of, hey, you may not think that we're perfect in all categories, but look how we're actually objectively ranking across the things that you care most, compensation, professional development, leadership, outlook of the business versus other competitors. Mm. So it's the platform was born out of a desire to help improve company cultures, to empower employees around decisions around their career and how much they should get paid, and to also help employers level set the expectations of their current employees and prospective employees and showcase how they're actually objectively doing against other similar companies in their area and across the United States. So, Jason, I I believe all that, and that's an awesome vision. And certainly as a first effect, what it influences behavior in terms of people's decisions about what employers to work for. I guess my question is, do you have yet evidence of behavior change in the employers themselves? I mean, we're at the beginning of this journey, but I absolutely do think we do. I mean, you see companies that over the last two years are focused in the way they've never been on rounding out 
um, the number of women they have in their company versus mm-hmm. men and focus on bringing in more diversity. You have companies that are at the forefront of wanting to be seen as great workplaces for compensation and works and benefit and workplace benefits and actively, you know, touting those as the things that make them great for recruiting. And I think what you're seeing is a move on the part of companies to become more transparent. The fact of the matter is when employee review sites came out 12 years ago, it was a shock to employers. Yeah. And they fought the idea tooth and nail that their employees should have a public voice to say what was going on. And that's where I give companies like Glassdoor a lot of credit for paving that way. I think what you've seen us do is try to come on and involve that and push the boundaries even further where we're saying, okay, well, what kind of experience are people in your department having? What kind of experience are millennials having at the company? What kind of experience are women and people of color having? And the reason that's important is when you go to a company, you think, well, you know, what kind of things do they provide for people like me? What kind of experience am I going to get? Because it's not one size at all. So I think you see companies more transparent about their compensation and more competitive. I think you see them more transparent about their workplace cultures, and they lead with how their workplace cultures are a differentiator. And I think that you see companies that are not ranked as highly making efforts to try to improve those categories because now that is reflected publicly for all the world to see. So, uh, Jason, I want to circle back on something you said. I, I first want to say I, I, the, the company that you sold into it, was that Stock? Yes, it was. Yeah, so that was a very successful company. A bunch of people will know that, that company. So you sold Stock to Intuit, and then it was working with Intuit that gave you the insight about, about the prospects for building corporate culture and the idea for comparably. Did you at any point, I, I wonder, I well, guess the question I want to ask is your experience as a founder jo- being merged into or joining a big established company, even a very innovative one like Intuit. And how did you think about sp- going out and doing your own thing again, as opposed to trying to do some of these things within, within an established enterprise? It's a great question. And it's always that natural tension that as an entrepreneur, you want to keep building and innovating. Um, and then when you're part of a larger organization, you have access to all these resources that are right. amazing and valuable. Um, you know, in, in my case, I was really excited and passionate about this aspect of culture even before we went to Intuit. And then mm-hmm. being there and seeing how great they were, you know, we were thinking of that as well, too. I think a lot of it, too, has to do with timing and stage. You know, at this point in my life, I think that this many ventures in, probably the next place that we end up will be home for a long time. In the Intuit case, you know, it was just recently married. We didn't have kids at that point. Um, And I felt like, hey, this is a window where I still have to go build something. And the fact of the matter is, Intuit's an incredibly supportive environment for entrepreneurs. And there's lots of um, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship opportunities. I was focused on a category that wasn't part of their core business. So, you know, we were bought by the small business side of the team, the team that owns QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. And where my headspace was and the things that I was caring about was not really in line with those products that at that time they were focused on. Mm -hmm. And so I think had I been focused more personally on categories, 
they were core to that business, I think I would have stayed there for many years. And, you know, they would have been great about giving me that opportunity. I think in our case, I've been there a year and a half. Um, and we just had a very frank conversation. And I think they recognized that I still had a lot of entrepreneurial drive. And this was a category that wasn't going to be core to into a small business unit. And, you know, they were amazing and supportive and helping me, you know, move on to the next step of the journey. And um, I think everyone just has to deal with that personal choice. You know, the fact of the matter is there's amazing learning lessons to get to be working at a company like Intuit. Mm-hmm. And you get to learn how to work with lots of diverse teams. You have amazing resources. You get to take products that are at scale. You make small changes and it immediately applies to millions of customers. And that's exciting. You know, I think for my DNA and background too, you know, my father was an entrepreneur his whole life. He was an immigrant to this country came here in the 50s with, you know, great classic American story with, you know, no money and worked for a dollar twenty-five an hour. And so he was my model growing up. And so I think in my case, you know, I was more, always inclined to just wanting to start things. Actually, it was when I was 35 years old and Intuit bought us. It was my first full-time job um, that I ever had, if you can believe it. I had never wow. been employed full-time. I was always self-employed since I was 21 years old. Well, you were more than full-time. You had just never worked for the man before, so that was the... <laughs> it's a delusion yeah. to think you weren't full-time before then, but... Anyway. Yeah, I wasn't, okay. I wasn't a full-time employee of a company that of I had. someone started. else. Yeah. Well, we yeah. just have a, another w- literally one minute, but I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about L.A. You're, you're based in L.A. Was that also a lifestyle choice, or or is there, are there some advantages to being there in terms of what you're trying to do? Yes and yes. So I'm an L.A. native. I'm as long as L.A. as they come. My parents are the same house. I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, my family and I live a mile and a half away from that yeah. house in Westwood, right next to UCLA. Um, I'm actually here right now in an event with the mayor of Los Angeles. I was fortunate to serve for almost two years as the entrepreneur in residence of the city of L.A. that Mayor Garcetti appointed, and he's one of the civic leaders that's the most forward-thinking in how to pull in the private community, especially technology and technology entrepreneurs. And from my perspective, you know, I've had the opportunity to start companies in San Francisco or New York, and I just think this is the most amazing place to live. I think it's the most amazing place to get to build a business. And the magic of the Internet is that you don't have to be in any one place. You know, your customers don't care if you're in San Francisco or in Paris, or in Sub-Saharan Africa. They just want a good product. All right. Well, So for my money, I think if you get to build it in Los Angeles, it's a great trade-off. All right. They ought to put you on the Chamber of Commerce. All right. So, Jason, <laughs> uh, great endorsement and also super interesting story. Thanks so much for making the time. Thank you, Carl. Really nice to meet you. And this is a great program you have. Your listeners and students are very lucky that you do what you do. All right. Thanks so much. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.